0: So uh, a couple of years ago, we were sitting around. We we're having a family get together, and uh, maybe it was Father's Day. I don't remember, but I remember telling uh, the kids, Sue. I said, "You know, if um, if I ever get to the place where I start telling lame dad jokes, <laughs> tell me because honestly, we don't know that. We we, we can't recognize it because we're, we're dads. We we think they are funny, you know. So I said, if I if I ever get to that place." Um, Tell me, because uh, I don't want to go there, and I forgot. One of the kids said, "It's too late, Dad." <laughs> You're already there. So I say that dads to embrace it, own it. It's okay, but I also warn you, it gets exponentially worse when you like it's it's bad. You know, you got lame dad jokes. When you become a, a grandpa, they're even more lame. When you get great grandpa, it's even more lame. So it does get, but just own it, embrace it. You know, just just flow with it because that's how God created us. Happy Father's Day. A few years ago, I was reading Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz. One of the chapters in the book was titled, Love, How to Really Love Other People. In that chapter, Miller talks about sitting in on a lecture once where the speaker was pointing out how we tend to use economic metaphors to describe certain relationships that we have. For example, we talk about how we Value people, or how we invest in people, how we say people are priceless, or that a relationship has gone bankrupt. And all these, all these metaphors are economic ones. So so listen to his quote after listening to this lecture. He said, that's when it hit me, like so much epiphany, getting dislodged from my arteries. The problem with Christian culture is we think of love as a commodity. We use it like money. I could see it very clearly now. If somebody's doing something for us, offering us something, be it gifts, time, popularity, or what have you, we feel they have value. We feel they are worth something to us. And perhaps, perhaps we even feel they are priceless. I could see it so clearly, and I could feel it in the pages of my life. This was the thing that had smelled so rotten all these years. I used love like money. The church used love like money. With love, we withheld affirmation from people who didn't agree with us, but we lavishly financed the ones who did. We're continuing our Firm Foundation series this morning where we've been looking at some of these basic Bible doctrines, building blocks, if you will, of faith. And this morning's topic is the topic of serving or service. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, this was, a, this was a hard one. It was hard for the disciples, as we're going to see in our passage this morning. So this, this is another tough one. This is a hard one. But Jesus set the gold standard for serving on the night before he was crucified when he met with his disciples to share one last meal. It's found in John chapter 13. A little bit of backstory here. If you grew up in the church, you're familiar with this, this scene of the Last Supper. Jesus is in an upstairs room sitting around a table with his disciples sharing this last meal together. And this would have taken place towards the end of what would be what would have been his probably most difficult week that of his life up to that point. For context, here's what Jesus week looked like that particular week. On Monday, he cleansed the temple. That's when he went in and you know chased the money changers out of there, flipped over the tables, and basically rebuked them for taking advantage of and exploiting God's people. On Tuesday, he has this huge confrontation with some of the religious leaders. Wednesday, there's no record. I mean, something probably happened, but we don't have any record of what happened on Wednesday. Now it's Thursday night. He's gathered in a secret room with his closest friends, followers, ready to share a final meal and give some final instructions. So let's pick it up there in John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to be with the Father. So everything that Jesus had done and taught for the previous three to three and a half years is winding down and culminating in what's about to take place at this final meal. And remember, remember, this is just minutes before his betrayal and just a few hours before his crucifixion. So you can imagine the emotion that he's feeling at this point. The text goes on to say, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Interesting statement. It's not so much a reference to the length or time frame of his love, but rather the depth of the love that he had for his disciples. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That's a huge statement we're going to come back to in just a second. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, with all this weighing on Jesus' mind, if things weren't already bad enough, Luke Tells us, and he's the only one of the gospel writers that shared this, but it's an interesting tidbit of information that he's the only one that put. Luke tells us that while this is going, an argument broke out. Can you imagine this? An argument broke out among the disciples about which one of them were the greatest. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there at the table, taking all this in? What's he thinking at this point? He had already told them the way to greatness was through serving. For three and a half years, think about this, dear ones, for three and a half years, Jesus taught and modeled greatness by the way he lived, serving others. And now, after three and a half years of teaching and modeling what greatness looks like, at his final meal with his disciples, Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, Master Teacher Jesus, looks around the room and sees the results of the last three and a half years of pouring, or how about, how's this economic term, investing in these guys' lives. And what does he see? He sees proud hearts and dirty feet. Proud hearts, because they were arguing about who was the greatest, and dirty feet. So what does he do? So picture this. You're in a room, sitting around a table, 12 of the closest friends. One of them's about to betray you, and you know it. Another one who swore he would never leave you or forsake you will deny you three times before sunrise the next morning. And he knew that. And the rest are going to run, not walk, run off and leave him during his greatest moment of need. And, oh, by the way, very important point, God has given you power and authority over everything. So, question, what would you do? This guy's going to betray you. This guy's going to deny you. The rest are going to run away. And you've got all power and authority, so what are you going to do? What's your next move here, Jesus? At a moment when all power and authority was his and he could have done anything he wanted, Jesus looks around the table, and he locks eyes with each one, the traitor, the denier, the betrayers, the cowards. What's Jesus' next move? Let's read it. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. At a moment, think about this, at a moment when Jesus could have done anything, he chose to serve. I ain't gonna lie. If I'm Jesus, serving would have been the last thing on my mind at that point, having witnessed what I just witnessed, Three and a half years, teaching, training, pouring into your lives, and you're still arguing about who's going to be the greatest? John 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And then, as only Jesus can do, he asks the perfect question for the occasion. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I just did? I wonder if Judas understood what Jesus had just done. Remember, he's already, he's got the 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. And now Jesus is down there washing his feet. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. What did he do? What did did Jesus do? He gathered with the betrayers. He gathered with the deniers. He gathered with the cowards. And he served them. Verse 17, John 13. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, one problem that we have in approaching this story is that we don't really understand the significance of what Jesus did here, because in our culture, there really isn't an appropriate counterpart to to this act of service. Uh, But this was a very common courtesy at that time in that culture. I guess probably the closest thing to compare it with today would be if someone came to visit you during the wintertime or in the cold months and had a coat, and when you let them in, you would offer to take their coat. Now, you do that just as as a courtesy here, Let 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 me take your coat. Our Colorado kids, Colin and Amanda and Winter and Gus were back last weekend. So uh, anytime they're back, we always get to, all the family gets together. And so uh, Zach and and Sam were going to have an outing at their new house. So uh, Zach sends out a memo to uh, the rest of the family. Hey, we're going to have a get together, you know, since Colin and Amanda are going to be back. Uh, And so he said, we're going to meet at our house. But he let it be known that everyone was to take their shoes off before they walked into their new house. I didn't see anywhere where he was going to wash our feet, but he made it known that we were to take our shoes off. If you were to come to a home in the time when Jesus was living, the first thing that they would have done is they would have greeted you with a kiss on the cheek. That was just the normal, social, uh, proper way to greet someone. The second thing they would do, they would ask if you wanted your feet washed. If they wanted your feet washed. That was just, that's just what they did, you know. Today, we drive cars, so we have car washes. Back then, they wore Birkenstocks, so they washed feet. Just kind of what they did. And it was just that was just a common courtesy. Now, the homeowner never did it. They would have a servant or a slave who would do that. How many are glad that we take coats instead of washing feet today? I mean, I'm pretty sure I don't want to wash your feet. And I know for a fact you don't want to wash my feet. This past week we had uh Chelsea, our daughter came down with two of our grandkids, Nico and Luciana, and they came down for dinner and I was sitting in a recliner and I had my flip-flops on and I had the recliner out as far as it would go. So my, my flip-flops, my feet were about eye level with Nico when he came walking by. And he went and he stopped and he said, whoa, Gramps, what's wrong with your feet? <laughs> in fact, if, if, you, if you came by our house, if I was sitting in our living room, just in my underwear, and you came driving up the driveway, Sue would not say, honey, you need to get dressed, we have company. She would say, honey, you need to put your socks on, we have company. (laughs) On his final night with his disciples, Jesus, who had all power and authority, could have done anything he wanted, chose to serve. He looked around the room, And he saw proud hearts and dirty feet. So what does he do? He says, you know, I can do something about that. And he washes the dirty feet. And don't miss this, by washing the dirty feet, he humbles the proud hearts. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a foot washing ceremony. I have. They're they're very powerful events. The, The way that they just have the ability to humble you. Humble you. And by washing the dirty feet, Jesus humbles the proud hearts. And we can't appreciate just how shocking, even scandalous, that this would have been. We, we, we get a glimpse of it when, when he comes to Peter, and Peter Peter says, no, no you ain't going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand, Peter. If I don't wash your feet, you you have no part of me. And that's when Peter said, oh, okay, well, give me a bath then. You know, wash all of me, all right? Remember, we're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, our Redeemer, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who has Genesis 1 on his resume, who spoke and everything came into his. We're talking about that guy. And here he is, bowing down, washing stinky, dirty feet. Why? Well, to teach a lesson, yes. But don't miss this. He also did this because it needed to be done. There's a guy who lives in Reese Estates who occasionally will walk up and down our road, Stafford Terrace, with a burlap bag. And he'll go down uh, one way in one ditch and he just picks up the trash, just going around picking up trash. And he'll turn around and come back the other way. Some of you have probably seen him. I don't know, it's it's, it's Breidenbach is his last name. We, We go to their they have a garage sale every year on Wellsville. Super nice people. He's retired now. Super nice couple. But one day I was on my morning walk and I and I ha- happened to pass him. You know, he was walking along the ditcher, and I kind of making small talk. And I said, uh, I said, hey, I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, why do you do this? You do this. You know what he said? He said, you know, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Jesus saw the feet were dirty and took it upon himself to wash them. Why? Someone had to do it. Jesus loved them to the end by doing something that everyone else thought was too low for them to do. The greatest is the one who will be your servant. Jesus, the Son of God, knelt and washed feet, which leads us to our main idea for this morning's message. It's a long one, but here's the main idea. A decision to follow Jesus is a decision to serve others because Jesus will always lead us in the direction of serving others. When we decide to serve others, we, we, we break the, the control of self-centeredness in our lives because service does damage to self-centeredness. Just like people who are greedy, if you're a greedy person, you know the best way to combat that? Start giving. Meet it head on. Meet it head on. Same with selfishness. The best way to combat selfishness is just to begin to start serving. When we choose to serve, listen, when we choose to serve, we're addressing head on our selfish nature. And if you're a Jesus follower, serving isn't something you do, it's who you are. Oh, you all just missed a good place. Let me say that again. If you're a Jesus follower, serving isn't something you do. A servant is who you are. Occasionally, I'll hear someone say in, in, in their Quest and looking for a a church home. They'll say something like, Well, you know, we're still looking for a church that meets our needs. And look, as a pastor, I I know what they're saying. I, I get what they're saying. But can I tell you, can I tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not a spiritual consumer, you're a contributor. You're a contributor. The church doesn't exist for us, we are the church and we exist for the world. We're not looking for a church to meet our needs. We are the church, and we meet the needs of other people. When you serve others, God changes lives, and the first life he usually changes is, guess who? Yours. When you serve others, God changes your life. This is why we're constantly encouraging you to go through our growth track, to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Because this, more than anything else, is where life change comes. But, you know, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to a couple of testimonies of people in Family Church who discovered this, the fulfillment and contentment that comes from serving others.
1: Hi, I'm Monty Rogers, and I wanted to share my testimony about serving. Um, Here at family church, our mission is to know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, and make a difference. And I have had the opportunity in finding my freedom and the peace to kind of reflect and to know God better and to have a personal relationship with Him. And at the same time, I've also been able to discover my purpose and that's serving. Um, I've had the opportunity over the years to have several jobs and to have even more job titles, and I confess to Pastor Curtis that my favorite title is being the door greeter here at Family Church at the 11 a.m. Sunday services. Um, as the greeter, I'm able to greet people and shake their hand and say welcome to church and to hug people and to tell them I love them. and. That's what it's all about, and um, Angie, my wife, and I, we, we both serve here, and by the time we actually take our seats in the sanctuary at 11 a.m. Uh, for the service, you know, our hearts are full, and uh, we both try to serve um, in time and, and financially, and we, we both agree that, you know, no matter how much we give, and we try to give as generously as we can, but no matter how much we give we we get tenfold back you know from from attending here and being part of family church and to serve and i would welcome and i would invite and i would encourage you know anyone to to um, you know serve here at the church and um, my the, the the nice thing about my job here is you know greeting people on sunday i can carry that over through through the week and You know, I can hold the door at the grocery store or or at uh, any store downtown and and tell people hello as I approach them and and meet them. And um, that's what it's all about to me. I'm I'm, Angie and I, when we say we're not looking for any paybacks or anything from it, but um, I think if you give it an opportunity, you'll see you get so much more back. Um, Galatians 5.13 says that, We are called to freedom, but we should not turn that freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Amen. When we were looking for
2: a a church family, um, we wanted to find a church that that focused on service. Um, It's just something that I've always been drawn to that's always helped me um, kind of feel like a whole person. So uh, Family Church has been great in that. There's been so many avenues uh, for myself and for my family to serve. Um, Myself being with the safety team and helping out with building or grounds and and Jenny um, doing wonderful things and family kids. It's just really been a great experience for us to grow as a family. Um, A huge part of that too is showing our daughter, Ellis, that. Service is something that is extremely important, that no matter how busy we are, no matter how many different ways we're being pulled, that having or carving out time to serve um, others and be of a service to the church is more important than anything else we can do. And we do it with a joyful heart. Um, We do it without complaint. Uh, It's just one of those things that I think it's really important to show her as she grows up that um serving others, there's no other higher calling um, than to help others and to be of service to them. Growing your faith is a process. Um, you know, initially, you come to church um, and you enjoy it, but you really want to take that next step. And service really is that next step. It gets you connected with other people. Um, it allows you to to grow your circle, to grow those um, around you that help influence your faith journey. And help you um, become a more well well-round, well rounded person. So, serving as much as I enjoy serving others, I've gotten so much back from from the aspects of serving. Made some great friends. Because um, on the other side of that is is once you've served for a while and you've met people, your next step really is are those small groups, uh, which can be very intimidating if you don't know anybody, you don't feel connected, and that's, that service aspect is really what connects you with those other people and makes that, that transition into small groups something that's so natural and so easy to do. Really, service is what allows us to live out our faith in a tangible way. So, in general, faith is a very personal thing and something that's usually very internal. And, and serving others is what allows you to kind of show the world um, and to live your life and live your faith life um, in front of others in a very tangible way. So, when we have serve day and we go out and serve the community, be it Wellsville or Baldwin, um, people get to see us living out our faith in a very tangible way. And I I don't think there's anything better that we can do to really show the world um, what our beliefs are and who we are as a church than through serving others. Um, I think Pastor Curtis and Kyle have said it best, is um, you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. So, so much of Jesus' ministry was serving others. And I think the best thing we can do to emulate that and to show others what it's like to be a Christ follower is to go out and serve others in any capacity you can.
0: I like what Kurt said about how it was through their serving that they began to connect with and expand their, uh, their relationships with other people. So that when it came time to sign up for a growth group, it was less intimidating because they knew more people. And I never really thought about that angle before, but I told him before the, uh, after the, between the first and second service, I said, I'm glad you said that because I never really thought about that, but, but it is true. There's something very satisfying. At the end of the day, when you lay your head on the pillow each evening, there's something very satisfying about knowing that God used you to make a difference in someone else's life that day. A few years ago, we uh, used to send a group from the church up to the Speedway, Kansas Speedway, uh, and... uh, we uh, worked up in the hospitality area up in turns one and two, where all those big tents were if you ever went to one of those races. Uh, and uh, that's where all the corporate businesses would wine and dine their clients. And so uh, a group from our church would go up there, and we would we would kind of service that area, uh, picking up trash, sweeping, emptying trash, cleaning the porta-potties. And uh, it, there were long days. You know, we'd have to be up there by 7. Lots of times we wouldn't get home till 7 that evening, and uh, of course, you know, we had to wear these bright citywide vests that identified us as the lowly losers that are out there, you know, cleaning and doing all this stuff. And, uh, you know, not, not everyone was appreciative for what we did. Uh, in fact, uh, some were just downright rude and demeaning. And, and that's really when our motive for serving is exposed, because I'd be cleaning in the porta potty. And someone would come in and kind of look down their nose at you, kind of like, kind of like you got cooties or something. I said, like, well, yeah, I got cooties. I'm in here cleaning your germs, you know. Uh, but uh, it, it took a lot to, to just, everything inside of me wanted to say, you know what, I have a master's degree. This isn't my real job, you know. Uh, you know, but that's not going to gain me anything, you know, by by saying, you know, you know, something like that. Um uh, but some people were genuinely interested, and then that's when you can kind of have a conversation. That's when we kind of told them what we did, and, and, and those were good. But when it comes to serving, it does something inside of you that just there's this, there's a this sense of fulfillment and contentment that you can't get any other way. Or what if I took a selfie? Say, say I was a cleaning a urinal, and I took a selfie. Hashtag serving for Jesus, you know put that on social media? I mean, if that's the reward that I wanted, that's the reward I would get. 37 likes. Yeah. No, that's not, what it, that's not what it's about. When we serve others, not only will we be fulfilled, according to Jesus, we'll be great. That's the path to greatness, is through serving. But this holds true in the church as well. If you consider family church your home and you're not using your gifts serving somewhere in this church, here you're robbing yourself of the blessing of being used by God to make a difference in someone else's life. Because see, a consumer thinks, what can this church do for me? A contributor thinks, you know what? I will not sit in the seat that someone else paid for and let someone else take care of my kids every week and not give back. That's how a contributor thinks. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Those of you who do serve faithfully each week, and that's a lot of you. I don't know if you've noticed or, or not, but you know, it takes it takes a lot of people to do what we do here on Sunday mornings. It takes a lot of volunteers to do that. It takes a lot of It takes a lot of volunteers to do that. Period. It takes a lot more to do it well, because we strive to do it well. It takes teamwork, and those are people who have discovered the fulfillment that comes from living for something beyond yourself. If you want to see improvement, listen. If you want to see improvement in any area of your life. Just begin serving in that area. Just begin serving that. You want to see change at work? Start serving those your coworkers. You want to see change in a relationship? Start serving those friends or family members. You want to see a change in your marriage? Start serving your spouse. You want to see change in your community? Start serving in your community. You want to see life change? Serve other people because when you serve others, God changes lives. And the first life he begins to change is yours, is yours. Jesus looked around the room and saw proud hearts and dirty feet. And he said, you know, I can do something about that. When you look around Wellsville, when you look around Baldwin, what do you see? Maybe not dirty feet and proud hearts. Maybe it's broken lives and wounded hearts lost people, people who are far from God. Let's respond like Jesus did. Let's get up, put on the servant's apron, and say, you know what? We can do something about that. We can do something about that. When you have eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to care, then you'll see needs and you'll never be the same. You see a need and you meet it because That's what servants do. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a servant's heart. Help us embrace the call to greatness, which is a call to serve. Continue to bless those who are serving you faithfully. Continue to move on the hearts and convict those who aren't currently serving. Convict them of their need to begin trusting you in this area of their life. And as they do, Bless them with the fulfillment and contentment that comes from serving others just like you serve us. While your heads are bowed, if you're here, maybe you're not in a right relationship with God, or maybe you used to be, but something's happened, and now that relationship's been breached or broken. That's you, you need to know that you're not here by accident this morning. You're here by divine appointment because God, the same God who allows you to call him Heavenly Father, He wants you to know that He has a plan and purpose for your life. The night before Jesus gave His life, He washed feet. He washed feet. Peter said, No, 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 you can't do that. Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you can have no part of me. Jesus. And Peter said, then wash all of me. That's a picture of what Jesus would do for you and for me. He would wash all of us. We would be completely forgiven no matter what you've done. Your sins are forgiven. Gone. Never to be held against you when you call on the name of Jesus. Because when you call on the name of Jesus, you don't become a better version of you. You become a brand new person. The old one's gone. And everything is new. And that's why many of you are here today. And you know it. Today is the day that you turn to him and say, and if you would just repeat this prayer, if that's you, I'm going to lead you in this prayer, a very simple prayer, to say, Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I choose now to give my life to you. I turn from my sins. I call on you, Jesus. Save me. I surrender completely to you. Forgive me. And come live inside of me by your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name.